0: We're in 1st Corinthians 15. Uh, we're going to wrap up this chapter. This is Lord Willing. Back in uh, 2006, there was a, uh, a movie that came out uh, called Stranger Than Fiction. You may or may not remember this movie. It wasn't that great, but it was, it was good enough. Um, in the movie, Will Ferrell played an IRS auditor who... Uh, one day he starts hearing a voice narrating his life. And the voice is Emma Thompson, uh, you know, Oscar-winning actress Emma Thompson and Will Ferrell going together to do it anyway. But anyway, uh, eventually he figures out that this voice that he's hearing in his head is this is the voice of an author writing a story where he is the main character. And he eventually finds, uh, you know, he finds some of her books on the shelf and finds out that in her stories, the main character always dies. Uh, And so he tracks her down in the real world and lets her know that he would prefer not to die, you know. Um, And she had, at that point, she had finished the manuscript. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this 17-year-old movie somebody's going to be like, we were going to watch that after church. But uh, before she sends her finished manuscript to the publisher, she lets him read it. Because there's still time to change it, I guess. Uh And after he reads it, he comes out and he tells her it's perfect. Uh, you know, now that I see the whole picture, I wouldn't change it. And so the ending was a mystery, but in the end, it was perfect. And even though he dies in the story, it was a perfect ending. Um, so the last few weeks, we've seen Paul talking about different aspects of uh, the, the resurrection. He clarified what the gospel is, what it is that we believe. Um, the importance of believing in the resurrection, because that was an issue, especially in the early church. There, was, there were a lot of people saying, well, that part, we don't know if we believe that. Uh, and then he talked about the resurrection, what it's going to be like for Christians. And ultimately he's saying, you know, all of these things, the, all of these things are in our future. And trust me, even though it's mysterious, even though we don't get it now, it's worth it. Right? It, it, it is perfect. And so today he's going to talk ab- about some of the mysterious elements uh, surrounding the future resurrection and what our response should be to that. So uh, before we get into it, let's pray, and then we'll we'll dive right in. Uh, Lord, we thank you this morning again for giving us the opportunity to study your word and your fellowship. Uh, God, we uh, as we've been studying First Corinthians fifteen, this is, in some ways is, is the apex of, of our doctrine of, of what it is that makes us believers. And so we just pray that uh, we don't get it wrong, but we get right that we would. Apply it to our lives, we would be transformed by it, uh, that we would leave here today knowing you better than we did when we arrived, and anything we get wrong, wipe it from our minds and replace it with a zeal to come back once again and find the truth. I pray all these things in Jesus. All right, so First Corinthians 15, verse 50. It says, now I say this, brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable and so we talked about this a little bit last week right our present bodies are not fit for heaven Uh, to walk on the moon uh, an astronaut needs to wear you know a special suit with weighted boots or maybe hire Stanley Kubrick to film it and make it look like that's what you did. uh, You decide. Uh, Anyway, but like an astronaut has to wear a suit in space, we can't survive in the presence of God in these bodies, right? Something needs to be done. Something needs to transform us. And so we spent most of last week's message talking about... Uh, that, you know, the necessity of that transformation. Right? You, may, you may recall we mentioned how Moses, he wanted to, he, he asked God, show me your glory, and God said, well, you can't see me and live. So he put him in the cleft of the rock, and as he passed by, he let him see just a glimpse of his hind uh, quarters and and, it, and just that little blink of uh, a view of God, when Moses came down the mountain, his face shone, so brightly that people, you know, were like shielding their eyes and he had to wear a veil. So just that little blip was enough to make uh, Moses glow. So it's, it's our bodies just aren't up to the task. Uh, so uh, earlier in the chapter, we'll read this. First Corinthians 15, verse 35. Just to give us a little context. Paul said this. He said, someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Right? Because you're going to get a different body be, to spend eternity with God, what kind of body is it? And I'm praying that mine is kind of like Brad Pitt, maybe, you know. Uh, you know, I just want to be shredded with a perfect metabolism, uh, so I didn't get to experience that here on earth. But uh, he answers giving them a couple different analogies, right? He says, you know, I don't know for sure exactly how your body's going to look, um, but here's what I do know. He, you know, he talks about how it's, it's like a seed being planted in the ground what grows up out of the ground, it's related but it's very different. You know, They're connected but they're different and and, and so your body is a seed that's going to go into the ground and what's going to come up at the resurrection, it'll be related but different, better. And he goes on in verse 42, he said, uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in the a perishable body, and it is raised an imperishable body. Right, your body, this body has an expiration date. That the new one won't. Uh, it is sown, verse forty-three, in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. And, and he goes on and uh, he talks about how you know we we currently resemble the first Adam, right? Which Adam was made from the dust of the earth, and so are we. We're, we're more like him than we are like God. Uh, and this new body will be more like Jesus than it is like Adam. And so he addressed the question that the people have, right? Well, if there's a resurrection, what kind of body are we going to have? Um, and then now he's going to answer what is probably their next question. Well, what about the people who are alive? Because you say, all this is going to happen when Jesus returns. What about the people who are alive when Jesus returns? Because they didn't go into the ground. 1 so Corinthians 15, verse 51. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I've always thought that we should have that verse hung above our nursery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. I don't know it's a dumb preacher joke, but I, I, I used to, we used to have a, a verse in the sound booth, and when we reconfigured it, we, uh, it's not back there anymore. But I used to uh, quote from Romans that uh, you know how will they believe if they have not heard? Right? So that the guys back there remember like what they do back there matters. Right? Uh, but he said, "Behold, I tell you a mystery: we will not all sleep." That we will all be changed, and so he says, "It's a myth." I, I'm going to tell you a mystery about this word um, in, the, in the original language, Mysterion. The it just means new information. It doesn't mean something completely unsolvable, completely unknowable. It just means this is new information. I'm telling you something that not everybody knew before. And Paul mentions elsewhere in his other letters and his other writings that he is a preacher of the mysteries of God. Um, Jesus talked about the mysteries that that he was bringing about. In in Matthew 13, verse 10, it says, The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus loved to to tell these stories that were kind of a riddle, and some of the people struggled with what they meant. And, And so the disciples said, Why don't you just it like it is. When we're around the campfire, you tell us how it is, and when you talk to, you know, the general crowd, you, you, you use these stories that are hard to, a little harder to understand. In verse 11, Jesus answered them, he said, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. In other words, you already believe, and they don't. So there are some things that I, God has granted to believers that you just kind of understand because you have my spirit within you, uh, but these people don't, and so I need to communicate differently to them. And so it's not like um, it's not like the kingdom concept is never brought up in the Old Testament, right? He, he's, he's talking about the mysteries of the kingdom of God, and, and so some people say, "Oh, see, this was a mystery; nobody knew anything about the kingdom." Well, that's not the case, but Jesus was revealing new and more information about it. Um, but to New Testament believers, he, you know, like I said, he revealed they, they revealed new information, stuff that was previously unknown. God chose to reveal to Christians, basically, um, a little more of the story. There's an old saying, sometimes they attribute this to Augustine, I don't know if it was for sure him that said it, but uh, talking about the old testament he said uh, the new is in the old concealed the old is in the new revealed in other words uh, like if you're if you've never read the bible and you just want to pick it up and start it's a weird book uh, in that don't start on page one don't start in genesis we recommend you start in the new testament learn about Jesus, and then when you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see Jesus all over the place, he was there, but he was concealed. The the truths of the kingdom, they're there, but not as clear as they are in the New Testament, Um, and so, you know, some of you may know, like on Wednesday nights, I I preached through most of the Old Testament over the last uh, 20 years or so, started when I was four years old. Or maybe a little older. But we preached on the old through the, throughout the Old Testament because we feel like it is important to know But on Sunday we're almost exclusively in the New Testament because this is the meat and potatoes. The Old Testament is, is something you add to it after you've had that. Uh, and so so there are other mysteries, right, that are, are revealed in the New Testament. Uh, the, Paul talks about the mystery of the church in and how the the Jews and the Gentiles are become together as one. That was something that it's hinted at in the Old Testament and the New Testament is made more clear. Uh, another one he talks about the indwelling or the, the the idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory, in Colossians one. Is another mystery that he gets to reveal. And so here he's revealing. I want to tell you about one of the mysteries. So back to the question: What uh, what about those who don't? Who, uh, who don't die before Christ return. First Corinthians 15, verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. There's some new information. We will not all sleep. In this term uh, was just uh, the way people at the time referred to death. Right? When someone's dead, they look like they're asleep. It doesn't mean there is a doctrine or, that some people teach of soul sleep that, you know, you just go into like this. extended animation until the resurrection. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's just, it's just a figure of speech. Because, you know, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. Some people will be alive when Jesus returns. And so he's already told us our perishable bodies, these things with an expiration date, need to become imperishable to be equipped for where we're going. Verse 52. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, uh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we, he's assuming I'm one of those who will be alive, he says, uh, we will be changed. Because all this stuff takes place in a moment. This word here is uh, it's, uh, atomos. It's, it's where we get the word Adam. It just means literally something that can't be cut or divided. Although back in the 40s, we figured out that, yeah, you can, you can divide them. It just gets ugly when you do it. But he says, you know, this in a moment, something that can't be cut or divided, in the twinkling of an eye, he gets more specific. So what's the twinkling of an eye? So if you're a numbers person, uh, you might appreciate this. Uh, a blank is one-thirtieth of a second. Twinkling, apparently somehow they've defined this term, is the time that it takes light to go from your iris to your retina. Uh, That's one-sixth of a nanosecond. A microsecond is one-millionth of a second. A nanosecond is one-thousandth of a microsecond. So one-thousandth of one-millionth of a second. And the twinkling is one-sixth of one-thousandth of one-millionth. So it. it's really fast. Point is, it's not going to be this process, right? It's not like the Walking Dead where we'll, they'll get up and uh, brains, and, and eventually they'll be with Jesus. It's, it's going to be something that happens instantaneously. But then it raises another question, when is it, right? He, he mentioned something about the last trumpet. And people, this is where when we get into prophecy, uh, people will really tie themselves in not uh, trying to solve this stuff. Uh, that's that, that the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. Uh, trumpets are mentioned all over the Bible, especially in, when it comes to prophetic things. And they're not always referring to the same thing. Um, there are seven trumpets in Revelation, in the Book of Revelation, each cueing, you uh, know, an apocalyptic event that uh, takes place during the, the tribulation period. And so, some say, well, the last trumpet is the seventh of those trumpets. That could be. I don't know. Uh, one of one of the holy days, the Jewish holy days, is the uh, the Feast of Trumpets. And at the end of, you know, this took place at the end of the great harvest. And, and you know, there's all kinds of imagery there. God's people were commanded to, to rest from their work at the end of the great harvest and present their offerings to God, which is very symbolic of what will happen when Jesus returns, right? He's reaping the harvest, the uh, grass of wrath and been sown and all that stuff. Um, but here's the thing. We can we can spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. Which trumpet are they talking about? It's a mystery. The last one, whatever that one is. Uh, but the last trumpet was a figure of speech, right? It was the uh, the Roman military used this uh, as a figure of speech. Uh, the first trumpet was to tell their you know their troops to to take up stakes and break down your tents. Which is what the the Bible refers to our bodies as, a tabernacle, a tent. This is just a temporary dwelling place for your spirit. And the second trumpet was to fall into line, right? You've torn down your tent, fall into line, get in line with everybody else. And then the last trumpet uh, was, you know, we're breaking camp, let's begin marching. Or when the saints go marching in. This imagery, it appears elsewhere in Paul's writings. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, he says, uh, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. He's He's answering that question. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, some some mornings when we're trying to lead, lead you folks in worship, we're reminded of this verse. Said, the dead in Christ rise first. Because you guys all look like you're dead on your feet. You know. Some weeks are better than others. But, uh, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so he's talking about something we call the rapture. And I, I've talked with folks that they say, well, you know, the rapture isn't in the Bible. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. But the word rapture uh, does not appear in your English translation of the Bible. It's a Latin word. Um, here, the word is harpazo in the Greek. which means to be caught up, to be snatched or caught up. And the Latin word for that is uh, raptus, which is rapture. You may remember, those of you who are old enough, remember the song by Blondie, you were caught up in something, right? We get, we get caught up in all kinds of things. You have ADHD, you get caught up in the wrong things, usually. You, you can't get your priorities straight. But he says, we're going to be snatched up, we're going to be caught up, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So some people are scared of these end times events and the idea of a rapture and all this stuff. And Paul says, no, no, no. This should be a comfort to you. Because he tells us elsewhere that when a believer dies, our spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus. Wherever that is, wherever Jesus is, that's where your spirit goes when you die. You're not just lying in a grave in suspended animation. And so either the dead in Christ are with the Lord in some sort of spiritual form, uh, awaiting this this final resurrection, because he does say everyone gets a new body, right? So either they're waiting for that new body, or you really want to break your brain. Um, The Bible teaches that Jesus, the God, exists outside of the confines of space and time. So because of the nature of, of timeless eternity, maybe they have received the resurrection bodies already because they live with Jesus outside of time in the eternal now. You can chew on that later. But maybe there is no future uh, or past where he is. But anyway, uh, so many, many people have debated uh, what all this means and when this happens, right? Because we... We live in the confines of time. When does all this stuff happen? And so there's a lot of theories. Uh, we, we believe here at Grace Christian, and, and what we teach, is that in, uh, the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, that God raptures the church out of here before the Antichrist and all that stuff goes down. Um, but there are lots of theories. And until it happens, that's all it can be is a series. Uh, we won't really know until the end is revealed. What we do know is that there is a trumpet blast coming that will bring us face-to-face with our Creator, whenever that happens. And for you, that day could be different than what Paul's talking about, because uh, we all have an expiration date. So at some point in the future, though, Paul Paul says, all the atoms of all the decomposed dead who, who ever lived and believed in, in the Messiah will be reassembled into new glorified bodies, capable of uh, existence and, and fit for heaven. So whether there's a literal trumpet blast or, or it's a, describing something else, when Christ comes, there will be no question main thing, right? uh, Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be here, but they will be with him whenever that happens. Verse 53. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, quoting from Isaiah 25 here. Uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We often hear these verses that keep at funerals. Uh, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, uh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law Uh, the sting of death is no longer in play is what Paul's point is here if if you have trusted Jesus uh, the grave no longer has the victory over you Jesus died and took the sting when he was nailed to the cross the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and Jesus took the full penalty of all sin of all time. Paul tells us that the law was sent as a, a schoolmaster or a tutor to to show us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. All those rules and all those laws were not just so you could know which ones you broke and which ones you didn't. It was so you could see that wow well, I can't You know, sometimes people will study all that, and they're like, how could anybody ever teach this? And I'm like, now you're getting the idea. Because no one could. Jesus has given his children the ultimate victory. For for those who don't have that hope of heaven, though, who are not in Jesus, uh, who have not trusted Jesus for eternal life, or are not Christians, whatever it is you want to call it, you don't have that relationship with Jesus, death still has its sting. Charles Spurgeon was a, a world-renowned preacher back in the, the 19th century. And he, he said this about this passage in particular. He said, The sting of death lay in this, that we had sinned and were summoned to appear before us The God whom we had offended. This is the sting of death to you, unconverted ones. Not that you are dying, but that after death is the judgment, and that you must stand before the judge of the quick and dead to receive a sentence for the sins which you have committed in your body against them. All right. For believers, What does all this mean? In verse 58, he says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of you who believe the thing that I believe. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You know, we battle our flesh every day of our lives but we have victory in the future right? we have this amazing hope and, and so death for us has no sting it is a friend because it is better to be absent from the body and, and to be present with the Lord and So whether things are going great for you right now or terrible for you right now because that happens right? some people have this ill conceived notion that I, I trusted Jesus and now it should be smooth sailing he says, no, in this life you will have trials. Take heart, I've overcome the world. To other things are going great or terrible for you, the best is yet to come. What What is in the future is better than anything we're experiencing now. So be steadfast, removable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, he, he, he says you know, have conviction. If right? you believe this, don't let society pressure you to compromise your beliefs. You believe in a God who can defeat death, hell, and the grave. If He says this is good and that is evil and the society that you live in says the opposite, don't compromise. And it's a very tempting thing. It's a very tempting thing to not go against the grain, to just go along, go with the flow. No, you don't do that. You stand firm, because as as Kevin alluded to, at the end of your life, you will not regret the things that you did with eternity in mind. The things you did and said to please God, rather than look good to people, because we the. You know, the, the people that we try to look good for won't be there at this time at that time for unbelievers if you're listening and you don't consider yourself a Christian or a, a believer in Jesus uh, I just have a couple things to say this life is short and the part of you that makes you you will be somewhere for eternity And to put it bluntly, uh, hell is hot, and forever is a long time. And I fear that every time you push Jesus away, because that's what we do, every time you push this message away, another layer of hardening is put around your heart. So before your heart is hardened too much, before you leave here, before uh, you draw what could be your last breath, urge you to place your faith in Jesus. John 6 verse 37 Jesus said this said, all that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me. So many people want to know what is God's will for my life. This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus said, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, and to take those long, careful look. Everyone who takes a long, careful look at the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So, are there still mysteries? Yes. There are lots of questions in life that the Bible contains the answers to. But there are some that we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, But here's what I know. Is that a God small enough to be fully understood is not big enough to save me. And so what we do know and can understand is that Jesus is worthy and that following him... Father, we thank you this morning for the, for the privilege of living in the time when we have such easy access to your words. Well, we just wrapped up studying uh, one of the longest chapters in the New Testament, one of the, the deepest treasure troves of truths about you, and we still are left not knowing every answer know that we can't know all there is to know about you, but we're so thankful that you want to be known, that you reveal yourself to us through your word and through your people and even through just creation itself. God, we pray that those of us that have trusted you for eternal life, that this week we would stand firm, we're assaulted day in and day out with messages that go against the core truth that you you have in your word. We pray that we would have the courage to stand firm against things. That we would not grow tired and and, and would lose hope, but Lord. That we would continue to serve you, knowing that it is all worth it. That we just keep going. The Lord, for those who haven't made a decision yet about. pray that you would open their eyes to see the proof that you have revealed that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus came and died in our place, and rose again, defeated death and hell and the grave, and that if we just trust him that he is who he says he is, we can spend eternity with him and you, and Lord, we just pray that they make that decision today. And above all elsewhere, we pray that uh, this time that we keep speaking of in the future would be now. we pray that you come and come quickly. And all God's people say. Ready? Great.